You may be seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And I don't really know what just happened there, but that's kind of the weekly, right? Just uh, pray for the electrical systems here at the church. So lights are back on. That's great. Okay, um, so what we're doing um, is we're continuing a series that we began um, uh, last week or a couple weeks ago called Preeminence. His story, our practice, and we're kind of we're using this verse from the book of Colossians, a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church uh, in, a, in a context not dissimilar from our own. And, and they're, they're confused theologically, they're confused culturally, and he wants to kind of set them on a path of like, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? Like, 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 what does it mean to be part of a church? And so those verses are Colossians 1, uh, and, and I'll just focus in on 17 and 18 for a moment. And he's talking about Jesus, and he says this. He says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And we've defined that word as saying, hey, this word's only used one time in the entire New Testament. It's to talk about Jesus Christ. It's a word that means um, being first, of highest rank, of highest honor, of highest dignity, of, of being, being kind of that, that first position. And so we said, hey, as Christians, uh, and maybe you're not a Christian today, that, that's okay. We're, we're glad you're gathering with us. Um, but as Christians, we're going to be people who have Jesus as first in their lives. And so we've talked about in weeks past that the entire Bible isn't instruction manual, it's not rules, it is a story about the person and work of Jesus Christ, of Jesus who creates, of our sin leading to separation from God, of God pursuing us in Jesus Christ, in, in his, his life, in him sacrificing for us in his death, in him promising us new life in his resurrection, and ultimately in his return where he restores all things. And, and, and that's how the, the Bible ends, but that's how our eternity begins. And so uh, today, uh, we're kind of transitioned over the last week or so to say, hey, if the Bible is his story, then him being first should impact our practices. And we're not saying our practices like my practices, but our practices meaning the church. Right, these verses here say that Jesus is the head, not of uh, an organization or a company. He says, head of the body, the church. That to be part of Jesus' people is to be part of a body uh, that is uh, the church, and it expresses itself in a lot of different ways, of course. And, and so we said, hey, here at Mercy Fellowship, we want to, to have Jesus as first in what we do, and there's just, we think, some kind of simple, big-bucket ways that we can look at this. That as a church, in order to have our lives individually and collectively oriented with Jesus being first— we want to have four things that kind of characterize us as a people. Areas of emphasis, areas uh, that we embody as a church. And so we've said that those four things are this gather, give, grow, and go on mission. Gather because Jesus is preeminent. We gather around the person of work of Jesus. So why we're gathering today is because of Jesus. That's why we're, that's why we're here. 
that we give because Jesus is preeminent, that he's going to be first in our finances and how we spend our money and, and our generosity, and that we give to the purposes of Jesus, not to gain his favor, but because Jesus first gave to us. That we want to, be, we want to grow because Jesus is preeminent that we pursue growth in him and for him, that, that, that Jesus has, is faithful for us and he, he's called us, he's designed us to be people who are fruitful and flourishing. And then finally we say we want to go on mission. That because Jesus is preeminent, that his agenda, Jesus' agenda for the world should be our first priority. So that means because he lived for us, we live our lives now for him. And so this is the second week that we're kind of looking at that first G of, of gather. Uh, and so with, with gathering, um, we, we all kind of get the concept of gathering. One is because you're here. Congratulations. Like, like we said last week, like there's the touchdown. We're going to put field turf all around the church. Touchdown. You made it to church today. That's a huge, huge deal. Like some of you with little babies, right? Huge win. You know, right? You had that moment. Where, where you're like, we are, we're ahead of the game. We might have time to stop for coffee. And then, right? And you're like, all right, we got we to gotta start this whole thing over. And I just hope they have some cookies left for us, right? That's why we do coffee and cookies here for you. Um, for, well, if you don't have a baby, you can still have co- co- coffee. Like, it's, it's for everybody. Okay. Um, but we get this because we naturally gather around things that we desire, we naturally gather around things that we find marvelous. We naturally gather around things that get us excited. And so I want you to ask yourself, what are some of the things that you gather around? Like, what are the hobbies? What are the interests? Well, you know, what, what are the bands? You know, what are the teams? That, you, know, you know, what are the activities that, that get you to gather? See, we gather around what we desire. And so you're like, well, wait, I thought this series is about Jesus being first. Why, why are we even talking about gathering? Well, we simply believe that, that if Jesus is first in our lives, uh, that, 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 that we want to be people who grow, we want to be people who change, that part of, not the only way, but a big part of how God has prescribed our individual growth to be is not alone, but is actually part of what we call a gospel community a group of people who are known by Jesus, who love Jesus. And so last week, we looked at Hebrews chapter 10, where we saw that Jesus makes us clean, that he brings us into the presence of God, and he gives his people hope and encouragement. Uh, But simply put, growing people are people who gather, who gather with God's people. And so uh, part of why we gather, we said last week as well, was it's easy to make ourselves first when we focus on ourselves as individuals. The less you gather with other people, the smaller and smaller your world gets. And the smaller you make your world, the bigger you get to be in it. And so part of why we gather is simply to acknowledge the fact that the people of God are bigger than us. That we have our individual stories. You have your individual story, and it matters to God. But you're also part of a big story, a greater story that we get to enter into See, to be saved by Jesus' work, as we said, to be changed by Jesus' grace, is to have a new identity with Jesus' people. That the gospel community is a necessary part of how God shapes us. And, and, and part of why community is important is because if you're a Christian, we worship a God who we say is triune, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God was in eternal community with himself and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so um, because he is community. He created us for community with us. And so, like, you need to know um, that Christians, we worship a different God. 
We worship a different God than many people in this world. And to be put our cards on the table, we believe our God is greater because our God contrasts with all the other gods that are in this world. See, other religions base their, um, their God or their understanding of God or their understanding of self on an individual revelation. And what I mean by that, one person, right, got the special knowledge and then they gave it out to everybody else, right? Buddha, he meditated under a ficus tree to achieve enlightenment. And his big idea was, hey, why don't you just reincarnate? The, 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 if a lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, like eventually you're gonna get it right. Like maybe the you that's a dolphin is gonna make it right? Because the you that's a dung beetle didn't do very good, right? That's, that's the big idea. Okay, I, I kid, but that's part of it, right? That you'll eventually achieve nirvana. You'll eventually achieve peace from your own efforts. Muhammad, who founded Islam, he supposedly had a one-on-one with, with the angel Gabriel in a, a cave. Joseph Smith had an individual uh, encounter um, with an angel out in the woods. Each was, was this unique individual revelation that say, hey, only I know God. Only I've heard from God. So now let me tell you how you are going to earn your salvation, how you are going to fix yourself, how you are are gonna be granted eternity through your efforts, which usually means following me, but it all comes back to who's your savior, who's your hero. And in all of these, you ultimately are the hero. And and I think there's moments where we think we kind of have it, but most moments we're like, ah, I don't know about you, I've got some self-doubt. I tell you to raise your hand if you have self-doubt, but you're a little cautious. You might not want to do that, right? Like we recognize we're not the best heroes. So as Christians, we don't worship a God that came to an individual. We worship the God who came to us as an individual. We worship Jesus. That's who we worship as Christians, that in Jesus we see God is communal and personal, that, that, that he's, he's not this impersonal force. No, Jesus actually showed up. We believe in the incarnation, that, that that's God in the flesh, that Jesus showed up, that he, he dwelled. He lived in a small, insignificant town. He was born to a marginalized family, right? He, he wasn't at the center of power. He worked a job, it says, for, for 30 years that like, like they didn't get a lot of notoriety. But then he also had a very public ministry, a ministry with people. They're like, read through the, the New Testament, the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry, and yeah, yes, you will find Jesus interacting with a woman at the well. You'll find Jesus giving sight to the blind. You'll see Jesus healing uh, lepers, but sometimes lepers. And so the biggest characterization, though, of Jesus' ministry includes those individual accounts, includes those one-on-ones. But he was preaching to thousands on mountaintops and, and, and from seashores. And he was going into the temple in Jerusalem and teaching in groups. And then even when, when he was traveling from place to place, he, he had his crew of, of, of 12 guys and other people that were uh, around with him, always, always training, always teaching, always, always trying to impart wisdom, knowledge, like this is the path of life. And then even when when things got small, he still had his two or three that he was with. The the trajectory of Jesus' ministry ultimately led to isolation on the cross. 
Right? Only Jesus alone is going to be the sacrifice for our sins. But his ministry, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is shown to inherently be a communal experience. I said last week, to, you, know, you can get better Bible teaching. You can hear, I don't know if you can hear better music. I mean, they, they were doing great too. That was fantastic. You can get better coffee. The cookies are from Costco, so that's, pretty, that's, a, that's a good line, right? They're pretty good, okay, right? But like there's a reason that we gather in our communities, that there's churches littered all over Snohomish County, all across Washington, all across the country, all across the world, because, because God's people need to have opportunities to connect. And so we're made as an individual, but we're made to be in communion with God and his people. So that leads us to Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have one of these discipleship guides, we're in Gather Week chapter 2. That's a, a long introduction for where we're going to be mostly in Acts 2 today. Uh, because Acts, the book of Acts, I, I, I would love to preach this whole book at some point. It's really the, the history uh, the, of the birth of Jesus' church. And what it looked like to be a movement of churches that, that crossed cultures, crossed languages, across uh, all sorts of barriers to, to then unite a diverse group of people around the person and work of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so here in Acts chapter 2, you can, we're going to end up starting here in a moment in um, verses uh, 37 um, uh, uh, all the way to the end uh, of the chapter. But in this first chapter, you see this birth of the church that these people um, were gathered around the resurrection of Jesus, that, that, that a group of about 100, 120, so maybe about how many people are in this room right now, gathered in this upper room, and the resurrected Jesus was with them. And he said, hey, I'm going to promise you that I'm not going to be physically present with you anymore, but I'm actually going to give you power in the Holy Spirit. So it's a bit charismatic, a little more charismatic than we are, but, but they're, they're promised this, this power, that God's power gathers God's people. And so the Holy Spirit came, and he says, I'm sending the Spirit as a helper and a comforter. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that the Spirit came to them, and it turned these disciples who, like, reading through their stories, it's just a menagerie of some of the most broken, jacked-up people, that God turned fishermen into faithful disciples is pretty amazing. And Peter one of the head disciples, if you will, but also the, the most boisterous, the most uh, apt to say things that were inappropriate, right? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, goes and he speaks before this massive group of people. What had happened in the city of Jerusalem was that people that, uh, that were spread across the known world were gathering in Jerusalem for this festival called Pentecost. And, and, and the people were from every tribe, tongue, and nation that was known at that time. And so, you, you know, you had people that were coming in and, you know, they speak what Egyptians speak and people coming in speaking what Persians speak and people coming in speaking Greek and people coming in speaking Latin and all these, okay, they're all coming in. But, but, but why? Well, because they believed that, that to be close to God was to be close to this temple. So they were inherently gathering for glory, gathering to be in communion with God, gathering to, to have some connection to the source of life, to the one who created us to have their sins forgiven, to be in the presence of God. And in this festival, when the Holy Spirit came, it said that Peter was able to preach this amazing sermon, that every single person heard the sermon in their own language. That's, that's miraculous. 
Like the, the Latin people heard it in Latin. I don't, you know, Peter, maybe he was speaking Greek. Maybe he was speaking Hebrew. Maybe, you know, speaking Aramaic. I, I don't know uh, specifically. But everybody heard it. Like, like God's power helped them hear God's truth in a way that they never heard it before. And what was Peter's sermon about? The sermon was about Jesus. It's about the, like all of the Old Testament leading up to Jesus. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. And we see this in Acts 37, how people respond, that the Holy Spirit empowered his preaching. And we see how people respond in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. This is after this amazing sermon. You should read the sermon. It's great. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent meaning turn from sin, turn from trusting yourself, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So he preaches a sermon. They, they did a Q&A afterwards, which is probably a little awkward with a couple thousand people. But he's like, hey, there's one big question everyone has. How do you respond to God's word? He's saying, repent, put faith in Jesus, be baptized, affirm that your allegiance is to Jesus and not yourself or anything else. And then he goes on to speak and he says, save yourself from this crooked generation that apparently there was some cultural and political issues going on in their day as well that were disconcerting. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, that's a great sermon, but like any measure, 3,000 people hear a sermon, they're like, yep, I want to be on the team. Yep, I want to be on Team Jesus. Yep, I, I've been... I've been Right? These are, but these are people whose hearts were prepared. These are people whose, whose hearts were showing up, expected. They, they showed up to the temple and to Pentecost expecting to be in God's presence. And instead, what they got was God's power in the Holy Spirit, giving them a message of life in Jesus. That you don't need to go to a temple to be close to God. God has drawn near to you in the person and work of Jesus. So if you want to be close to God, spend time with Jesus. Spend time studying his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with God's people. See, when God works, it's effective. I'm not saying Peter, well, I did say Peter's sermon was amazing, but why it had such a response was it said it cut to the heart. That's a work we believe that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one that wells something up in your heart that says, you're telling me about Jesus? That makes sense. I hear that. It's true. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so this new community is formed, and just right away, the church went from being 120 uh, homogeneous people, right? They were all kind of, you know, first century uh, Israelites, to now multi-ethnic, multilingual, multicultural, and, and because all these people had gathered to this place and space, they didn't live in Jerusalem. So now you got 3,000 people that are now sent out back into the known world, who were like, hey, I was at this gathering, I heard about Jesus, now let me tell you about Jesus. And, and that's gone on for a couple thousand years. 
It hasn't stopped. People have been doing that for a couple thousand years. That's why we're here today. That's why this message of Jesus, the person and work of Jesus, the message started in Jerusalem, and within, within a couple months of Jesus' resurrection, it's across the Roman Empire. It went viral before things went viral, right? All the way to 2,000 years later, to Western Washington, to Snohomish County, to where I, to where I heard the gospel in, in King County, in, in, this, in the middle of Seattle, like a faithful fraternity brother who's like, dude, you're, you're getting drunk. You're doing stupid stuff every weekend. Why don't I be your designated driver? You just come to church with me. I got invited to church. He's like, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? I'm like, designated driver? That's a great deal. And I went and I heard. And my heart was cut because I, I realized, I already knew the path I was pursuing was empty. But I realized, I know I've, I've always wanted something more. That something more won't be found in a temporary experience. I want it in an eternal communion with God and, and I need to be made new. And so I, I learned that like, oh no, you're not defined by what you've done. You're defined by what Jesus has done in your place on the cross. That new life in Jesus actually isn't you making yourself better. It's you being made new by Jesus. It changed the trajectory of my life. If you're a Christian today, somebody told you about Jesus if you're here today, somebody brought you or, or, or you're gathering here because you believe that this is important. And so what we're going to look at next is this, this gospel community that was formed that grew exponentially. There's a lot that we can learn from it practically uh, about what it means to be the church as we gather. So that leads us to verses uh, 42 through 47. I'll read them and then I've got five points to talk about them. Maybe another verse will close out in about 20 minutes. How's that? After the sermon, after the 3,000 people, says this in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And an awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple... Together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so five things that we see in this section of Scripture that describes this first gospel community. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the proclamation of God's word, people getting saved, people getting baptized, people joining a community. What does it look like to be part of God's people? The five things are this. They were devoted together. They marveled together. They were sharing together. They were gladly gathering together. And they grew together. So let's walk through those, okay? Number one, they were devoted together. What's devotion? Devotion is simply where your desire meets a discipline where what you want leads to what you do. So this first verse here, right, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers, that they gathered around God's glory, and that led them to desire to gather more, to deeper communion with God and with his people. This was a regular rhythm that 
that they weren't just like, all right, give me the next big thing. Like, like, like they already heard this huge sermon where everybody heard everything in their own language. Like, like I, I don't know if it's me, I'm like, oh man, that was a good Sunday. I want to come back again. I want to be just like that. And they're like, well, they were just, they were devoted. Like not every week, not every gathering was some spine tingling like experience. They were just like, no, we're going we're gonna to gather around God's word. Right, the apostles' teaching, it says. We're going to gather on the fellowship. Fellowship means a partnership for the gospel. We're going to be with people. We're going we're to break bread in, in communion. We're going to pray. Like, again, simple, basic rhythms. God's word, prayer, gathering together, taking communion. It served God's people pretty well for the last 2,000 years. And so... They're gathering, like I said, around God's word and the fellowship. And in some regards, this is just a very simple element. And this is why we say gathering is so important that some of the Christian life is routine. Right? That the God has kind of said, hey, a week is seven days. One of those days, one of those times is gathered together. The reason the church typically has done this on a Sunday morning is because we believe Jesus rose, right, on Easter Sunday. And we just said, hey, this, this would be a good time to remember what Jesus has done. And so this rhythm gets set that it was a discipline fueled by desire, but they prioritized these things. That these faithful practices were a prerequisite to the church's faith, fruitfulness. They're, they're like the foundation. That's what our whole focus this, this winter is, is relaying our foundations as a church. That their foundation was this rhythm of gathering. Following their devotion to these things, that's what came next, verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. That after the discipline, after the regular gathering, after the kind of just, just the ordinary rhythms, what came out of that, it says, was an awe. That they marveled, that word means marvel, they marveled together. This desire drove them to what they do. See, we naturally gather around things that energize us, around things that give us a sense of awe. Um, uh, uh, several years ago now, uh, around Christmas time, uh, I took uh, my wife and the kids to see uh, The Greatest Showman. You guys familiar with that movie, right? Hugh Jackman, it's one where he's like not an X-Men. Um, and uh, right, it, it's based on P.T. Barnum, uh, loosely based, okay, uh, on P.T. Barnum's life. Uh, and, and he's like a circus guy. And his, uh, but before he's doing the big fun circus, he, he's trying to gather people around all these kind of dead curiosities. And at one point, his daughter says to him, Dad, uh, all your gatherings, like all the things, you're trying to gather people around something that's dead. What if you gather them around life? And so then he collects a bunch of interesting people, right? You got the bearded lady, uh, all, you know, all sorts of different things, right? Uh, and all that stuff. Uh, but, but, and that kind of got the gathering going. It was exciting. There's some energy around it. And then he, like, he's like, well, no, I just want people to, to gather. So, so I want to gather on excellence. So at one point he hires like the greatest singer in the world and he takes her on, on tour. Uh, and I'm not even going to try to sing any of the songs. Uh, and so it's a movie about gathering. But what's interesting about it wasn't that it's a movie about gathering. It's what it did to my household afterwards. Like, like my, my wife and daughters were like playing the songs on a loop all the time. I'd come home and if dinner was going, like I'm just hearing these songs and some of them I can get down with and some of them like, if I hear A Million Dreams one more time, 
just, uh, I just, 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 let's just go full Tyson and bite the ears off. Like, I just, I don't want to deal with it. But, but they were excited. And they'd play the songs on a loop. And they, they'd invite their friends over. And they'd watch the movie. And, and, and they were like, my wife at one point was like, don't you just want to see it again? And I was like, eh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Right? But, but what would happen is we'd go to friends' houses. And the kids, you know, they'd go upstairs. And they, they'd come back and, and they'd make a play. They're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make our own greatest showman thing. Like, that's church planting. <laughs> like, literally, like, hey, I was at this church. I, I like what's going on. I like, now let's just make our expression. And man, it was difficult, and it wasn't as good as that first one, and all that. But like, but, but like the energy around it, that's, that's the disciple-making power of us marveling at something that's excellent. And in this case, it was temporary. Because by the time summer had come around, about six months later, our family had been introduced to Hamilton. And um, at that point, The Greatest Showman shot its shot, and it, was, it missed. Uh, and, and then um, The Greatest Showman was, was Hamilton. Uh, and it's been Hamilton at our house every, just, just for the last four or five years. It's fine. Go see Hamilton if you have the means, uh, if you otherwise get Disney+. Plus. I don't know, did I just tell you to get Disney+, Plus? I don't think I'm allowed to say that. Um, and so, um, anyway, Hamilton's great. That's not the point of the sermon. The point is, we easily gather around what we find excellent. And so for God's people, they were devoted, and it led to an awe. And that awe continued to, to drive them, to energize them, to, to make them want to make disciples. And, 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 and it led them to some pretty dramatic activities, actually. It led them to number three. So number one was devoted together. Number two, marveling together. Number three, sharing together. Verse 40. 4 and 45 says this, and all who believed, so those, those Christians, people's faith in Jesus, were together and they had all things in common. Easy now. We're not going to become communists. Don't worry about it, okay? And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What was happening? Their collective devotion and corporate worship led to communal generosity that the outcome of their gatherings was to move them from being self-centered to begin to have an others-centered orientation. So what it wasn't saying was, and then the government came in and raised taxes and decided who, okay. We can work for just society, that's fine. Again, not the point of this sermon. What they were doing was saying, whoa, um, there's needs here. And I have some means, here's some needs, let's connect those two. And so people in the household of God, the family of God, in the body, they started to begin to believe that, that if, if one part of the body was really, really suffering, that, that wasn't that great. And so it stirred in them generosity. The gospel community gathers God's people in all these different contexts and sacrifices were made, needs were met. And so when we are gathering, we are reorienting ourselves away from ourselves. Upward first, yes, to the Lord, but also outward to others. Um, next weekend, we've got um, the, the youth uh, partnering with a couple other churches that we're friends with and going up to Mount Baker, and they're going to have a great time. They're going to play in the snow. They're going to talk about Jesus. Um, they're going to stay up too late. They're going to eat stuff they probably shouldn't, uh, right? They're going to have a good time. And, and um, you know, uh, across the churches, there's some kids that, that couldn't, you know, afford to go. And there was people in the churches that, that, that like, said, oh, well, we want to scholarship that. They're being generous. And so we're excited that more 
people are going to get to gather for that, right? So we, we gather to reorient ourselves away from ourselves because f- quite frankly, like my default is pretty self-centered. My default's pretty self-focused. And so it requires regular interaction with others to be reoriented towards others. See, our gatherings, like you gathering today, our gatherings on Wednesday nights, the last Wednesday night, last three Wednesday nights, we've had 50 people gathering uh, for, to share a meal, uh, to, to have some teaching, to have some di- discussion. Um, you know, later in, in the spring, we hope to launch some small groups, right? Di- different, different things going on. All of our gatherings, whether it's on a Sunday or during the week or whatever, um, I just want to be really clear. They're for you. But they might not always be about you. It might be how you're serving others. What I can tell you is that we gather around the person and work of Jesus. So that means they're always going to be about him. So again, don't hear me wrongly. The, our gatherings and our groups, they might not always be about you, but they're always, always for you. And that led to number four. They gladly gathered together. Verse 46 says this, And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So there was this unity in the gospel. They all, they all believed in Jesus together, and it led them to rhythms of regularly gathering in a larger gathering, so in this case, in the temple. And it didn't say that they attended individually. It says that they gathered together. Like, it's okay to carpool if you want. It's okay to, to invite somebody. It's okay to sit with other people. Like, like this, like you're not, you, you might have come in today not knowing anyone, and that's okay. We've got new people a, a, every week, but like, like you're invited to gather and, and connect with other people. That you're not just an individual here, but you're gathering together with other individuals. It also says that they, they, they scattered in, into homes. Right? I mean, this is just the things the churches have been doing for thousands of years. Sharing a meal together, having a Bible study, gathering together in larger gatherings. All we're trying to do here at Mercy Fellowship is the simple rhythms that God's people have been doing for a couple thousand years. And the last few years, to be sure, have been tough on the church. It's been tough at times for this church. Um, uh, Barna, who does research around these things, um, about five to eight years ago, the average uh, Christian uh, would go to church twice a month, two times a month. You back that up 10 to 15 years, uh, and it was usually averaging about four times a month because maybe they miss a Sunday, but there was some midweek gathering or something like that. Um, the stats just came out. The average Christian currently attends church 1.2 times a month. If you're like, hey, didn't we talk about gathering last week? Why are you doing it two weeks in a row? That's why. Maybe this is your first week here. And so, like, like God's prescription is gather with God's people. The more you distance yourself, the more you isolate yourself, the less there's opportunities to grow. See, we gather, it says, what we find enjoyable, because it doesn't just say they gather together, it says they gladly gather together. Right? Like, I mean, I just told you the stats, but like, I hope, I truly hope you gather because you want to. Now, I know there's Sundays that you don't want to. I know there's moments where we, we do things, that's part of discipline, to sometimes do things that we don't always have the feels about. But what it led to was, was 
I mean, they're, they're gathering together in groups. They're breaking bread in their homes. Like, like share a meal with one another. That's part of why we're trying to model that on a Wednesday night together. Hope is that we grow as a church in hospitality. Where, yeah, maybe we have structured small groups, but maybe it's just organically happening that you're just inviting people over. Um, I was at a really large church um, in Seattle, uh, and, and the pastor there at that time said, hey, nobody knows each other. Um, all of you invite somebody else out to lunch um, after service. And, and, and that Sunday, um, I, I saw, um, I saw 21-year-old Tara Martinson uh, walking through the foyer, and I was like, that girl, I can marry that girl today. I told my buddy that. It's actually a true story. He's like, well, you better go, you know, ask her out. And I'm like, eh, I'm in sales. I could probably get her to say yes, but like I want the Lord to really lead this. Uh, and so um, I was in marketing back in the past, okay? Uh, so I'm not in sales anymore. Um, so, so, but I mean, that was my in though, was, hey, welcome. Are you new here? She was with a friend, um, so it wasn't too weird. And I was like, hey, the pastor just said we're supposed to go to lunch. I know a burrito place called Gordito's that sells burritos the size of babies. You want to go? And her, and her friend was like, yes! And she was like, no, no, you said this already. Ha-ha, too late. She showed up, um, and um, the rest is history. And so we went from eating burritos the size of babies to having six babies. Um, and so, um, like, like, that worked out well for me. Like, sharing a meal with other people. There's something that, unique that happens that bonds us that way. I think that's part of why you look at Jesus' ministry. It had a lot of meals he had with people. And sometimes the people that he invited to the meals or that showed up at the meals weren't the ones that the religious people expected, right? Okay. Leads us to number five as we're getting close to closing. Gladly gather together. Number five, the growing together. The the Jesus-loving, gospel-centered, spirit-led community is inherently life-giving. It's inherently worship-inspiring that individuals and, and collective people, they, they can't, like, like w- when there's something good, it just can't help but being contagious. And so it says that, that these people who were devoted to one another, they were sharing and giving to one another, they were focused on God's word, they were loving Jesus, loving one another, all of a sudden it said they had favor with all people. Like the city, the county, the community was like, we're glad that there's people that love one another. We're glad that they have joy. We're, we're even glad, like, we're, we're pagan and pluralistic, but we're even glad that they love Jesus because apparently it's leading them to be super generous, super loving, super hospitable. And out of that, the individuals in the church, I'm sure, were, were growing in, in, in spiritual maturity and, and flourishing, and not in a straight line, right, but fits and starts, right? But it said, no, no, they were also growing numerically. That day by day, week by week, they were adding to their numbers those who were being baptized and saved. The people whose faith was in Jesus, they're getting baptized, now they're part of the church. So apparently the, the growth strategy for the church is be devoted to God's word, be focused on gathering, be generous, break bread with one another, keep the focus on Jesus while loving people. That's what we say here at Mercy Fellowship, that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. So they're doing these things. Great joy, great unity, gladness of hearts. I mean, there's a reason, again, that this movement of of following and trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior has persisted for a couple thousand years. And so, I mean, I've just kind of laid out to you five things that, that might seem like a high calling 
They might seem to give you high expectations for what it should mean to be part of a church. So, so, so what do we do, not if, but when, these five expectations aren't met? Because, right, what should we feel? What should we experience when it doesn't measure up? How should we address this? Well, we do believe that a healthy, unified church looks like a family which shares burdens and celebrates joy. But we have to acknowledge that we are a communion of not yet perfect Sinners saved by grace. That means there's gonna be times that are awkward. It means there might even be times, and maybe you've even gone through this, where the, the church has caused hurt. How do we handle that? Because here's the, like, here's the ideal. Well, um, there's a theologian, German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a faithful pastor during World War II. And um, he, he really focused on cultivating Christian community, training pastors. Uh, he also uh, was a spy trying to get Hitler taken out. Like, pretty cool dude. Um, you can read an uh, awesome biography by Eric Metaxas called Bonhoeffer. Um, but one of his quotes about Christian community, about the church, is this. He says, Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though they're personal intentions might be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. What he's saying is like, hey, don't just love the idea of God's people. We actually need to love God's people. Like the actual people that God has brought into our lives in the places that he's had us. We might have seasons where we endure hardship together. For Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he certainly endured that for sure. Um, he at one point in his ministry uh, went to America and then things were really starting to heat up in Germany if you know your history. Uh, and it would have been really, really easy for him to stay in America and say, whew, stuff's getting nuts over there. I'm just gonna wait this out and see how it goes. Or I'm just gonna go ahead and stay here because, because man, they've just gone crazy in that culture over there. Instead, it actually led him to say, oh, I, I can't be here. I've got to go be with my people. I've got to go be in the place that God has called me to be. He said, if there's going to be a German church of, of actual faithful Christian, you know, people love Jesus, not whatever was going on with the not, right? He's like, then it's going to have to be one that has endured through this painful time. And, and for him, it ultimately led to him being imprisoned, it led to him not being able to get married to his fiancée, and it ultimately cost him his life as he was, he was executed as a martyr towards the very, very end of the war. Hitler's like, you weren't on my team? Boom. But for Bonhoeffer, he was trying to look at the people of God and the church with not a right now, what is it today, but what will it be for eternity? And so last point as we close is when we gather, I want you to know that what we're doing is, is temporal and it's, it's here, right? And sometimes there's a lot of people and sometimes not. And sometimes the music's good. So, you know, you know, sometimes the sermon's okay. Like, okay. What we're actually doing, though, is we are practicing in a small, small way for what the Bible says eternity's gonna look like. Last verses as we close. Revelation chapter five, verses 11 and 12 says this. This is John getting this vision for what attorneys look like. And then I looked, 
And I heard around the throne, that's where Jesus is, and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads of thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard, verse 13, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all those with them saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb be blessing, honor, and glory and might forever and ever. That the image we're given of eternity isn't just you alone in this perfect, you know, little cloud thing, but as you gathered, us gathered with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, all unified, diverse, but unified around the person and work of Jesus. That's what it means when it says, the lamb who was slain. And that part of how we'll spend eternity is in gathered corporate worship. Singing, even. And like, all of us are gonna have good voices. I'm super excited about that. Part of why I don't sing too loud is because I don't think anybody wants me to sing too loud. We're gonna sing here in just a minute. Let's practice for eternity. Like, let's sing loud and sing proud and sing praises to King Jesus. Like, you ever wonder like why we sing on a Sunday? We're practicing for eternity. You ever wonder like why when you go to a soccer game in Seattle, like everyone's just like, oh, like the whole time? Like, because they're excited. Because they're, they're, they're centered around what they find glorious. They don't have to be prompted to sing, they just do. And so here, like every week when we gather, whether it's the first songs at the beginning or the last songs as we close, like know you're practicing for eternity. If you're a Christian, we're gonna invite you to come forward during this time as well and take communion, remembering the lamb who was slain. Jesus Christ's body broken for us in the bread. His blood shed for us in the cup. If you call this church home, we encourage you to give cheerfully, regularly, sacrificially. You can do that in the offering urns up front. You can do it in the giving uh, uh, box in the back. You can do it online, all that. Like, that's fine. If, if, if you're not or you're not part of the church, like, welcome. We're just glad you're here. We're glad that something, someone caused you to gather today. And we believe that that person's Jesus. That as we gather, we practice for eternity that a flourishing life as a disciple of Jesus in your relationship with God is nothing less than having a flourishing relationship with God's people in the church. That's only possible when we're gathering regularly. And so whether it's this week or, or this Wednesday when we gather or next Sunday or whatever, let our gatherings reorient you, protect you, build you up, encourage you to endure, equip you for mission, and prepare for eternity where there's gonna be a mighty multitude of people who simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.